If you've bought property, you likely funded your purchase partly through a mortgage. If the property increases in value over time by more than the cost of the borrowing, you're better off. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast by the Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of the Rask Group. I'm Pete Wardgen, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. G'day, welcome to the Two Cents episode of the Australian Property Podcast. I'm Pete Wardgen. This is your regular Two Cents segment. I'm here with Batesy. Chris, how are you? Life's good here, Pete. Um, bit of a sick boy. She's uh, only February, so that's a bit concerning. But uh, yeah, lots and lots happening in life and home and business. We've got a big rebrand happening next week. And um, yeah, lots of exciting things happening. So how are you doing? Uh, pretty good. Yeah, I've been, uh, what have I been doing this week? I've been listening to an audio book. I've been meaning to listen to it for ages, Die With Zero by Bill Perkins, which has got me thinking about time buckets and I guess what they used to call a bucket list and uh, prioritising the things you really want to do in life. So that's been some food for thought. Um, what else? I've been also I've been using, I don't know if anyone's heard of this app called Duolingo. I've been learning Spanish. So uh, it kind of reminds you to, keep tuning in every day and uh, sort of get a, a run of lessons going so it's been pretty good so far actually i I do a few european languages so i've got a bit of a head start on that one but uh, anyway so far so good if i ever need to ask where the cathedral is in madrid i'll be absolutely sorted so <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's an interesting um, but, uh, t- title of the book i guess um i mean there's a famous quote you know make your last check bounce i mean obviously you can tell when that uh, quote was written it was a while ago um, when we did used to use checks, but um, I do think this is that it plays into the intergenerational story, right? Like, do you give your money away when you die, inheritance, or do you do you give it away and see the pleasure of that in terms of you know passing down generations or in communities or you know charities or 
you know, uh, or and lots of different options. So, you know, should you try to die with a lot of money or should you try to die with zero? And um, it's, a, it's a really good way to, to start to think about things because I do think people are dying with a lot of money um, and, you know, money sometimes can create problems for people um, if you give it to them, you know, a bit later on than earlier where it's might more opportunities. So, yeah, so very talk about, yeah. thought-provoking, yeah. yeah. I think, I mean, the title is obviously provocative, uh, but I guess the point being made is that people often over save for retirement and actually yeah as you said um the intergenerational wealth transfer um you know if you uh, pile up an enormous uh pile of assets and wealth and then pass it on but you, you might live till 80 or 90 you know um, by the time you pass that on it's not much use to your offspring potentially and um as he points out you know if you uh sort of leave money in a will you've got no control over what happens to those funds whereas if you uh, start thinking a bit more strategically. You can help your kids onto the property ladder, which we're definitely seeing now. I know you called this last year. You know, we're getting so many clients come to us and say, right, I just want to get my kids on the housing ladder because they hate renting. The rental market's a nightmare. Um, so it kind of does tie into what's actually happening right now. And also, I suppose what he's really saying is rather than literally dying with zero, optimise your spending uh, to enjoy life uh, at the appropriate time, not leaving things until too late, that distant future time when everything will be sorted out and perfect because uh, it often never comes if you do it that way. And I wonder, you know, usually it's like whatever the experience you went in, whether it was good or bad, you try to either replicate it or avoid it, right? So if the kids have been thinking, oh, God, I wish mum and dad just helped us out a little bit and um, passed it down a bit earlier, do they just want to be a bit of hypocrite and then do it to their kids? Um well, probably not. They probably go, well, if we're in that position, we're not going to do what our parents did to us and kept it back till they died. Uh, and so maybe, you know, like um, when they say when people build wealth, you know, a couple of generations to build it and the third generation loses it um, because they become a lot more frivolous with the money. The first two sort of keep it back. It's very scarcity. Let's let's build wealth for, for family generations. And the third one says, well, I don't care about this. I just want to live the good life. Um, and uh, they usually blow it. So I wonder if that's going to happen a bit. That that haven't thought about that on on a deeper level, but it sort of makes sense when you start to think about it. Um, but anyway, seven o'clock on a Sunday. Thanks for tuning in. What's the three stories we're going to pick this week? Sometimes we can't. We're, we're struggling for the best three, but this week we had so many choices. So, what did you decide on, Pete? Funnily enough, on that point, I saw uh, McCrindle just released an infographic this week on the trends for 2024, and the Bank of Nan and Pop was actually one of their key trends. Yeah. For this year. So not just the bank of mum and dad, but also uh, two generations up potentially. So, yeah, there's, yeah, I mean, there's an unprecedented amount of wealth in Australia. It's um, continued to make record highs every year, really, since um, since the financial crisis. It just keeps on going. So uh, big trends ahead. Uh, so, yeah, three stories this week. Um, well, we've had a Reserve Bank update this week, not just the monetary policy meeting, but also there's the statement of monetary policy and, in fact, a new press conference. So it's a new format now. Uh, I'm not so sure about the standard of some of the uh, media questions. I think uh, some some work to do there for some of the economics journals. Um, but so firstly, uh, story in the Oz, uh, coming rate cuts could be a potential double-edged sword for first home buyers. No doubt. I think um, improving borrowing capacity, but also increasing competition for those entry-level properties. Secondly, another piece in the Oz, actually, uh, home equity access increases for retirees. James Kirby highlighted this new trend, uh, something we've touched on, I think, in episodes before. And then thirdly, 
um, some sort of uh, thinking about what's coming ahead. Um, FinReview property prices could rise 10% on lower taxes and um, a lower interest rate. So, um, yeah, I think those uh, those tax cuts, they're really sort of giving back some of the bracket grip from what came before. But nevertheless, at least in nominal terms, people will have a bit more borrowing capacity uh, in the second half of this year and particularly next year. So let's start with this um, with the Reserve Bank decision this week, uh, Chris. So um, on hold, I think if you look at all the stuff that's going on um, around the world, we can probably expect interest rates to be on hold for quite a long time yet, at least a few meetings to come. Uh, there's not as many meetings going forward, actually, for the RBA. Uh, so... Um, I think, you know, we'll maybe come back to this in the middle of the year, but I think in the meantime, um, interest rates are likely on hold. There's definitely some still uh, hawkish uh, sort of uh, tone in there. But realistically, if you look at what markets are pricing, it's really for lower interest rates over the next 18 months or so. And I think lower repayments ahead, but as the the Australian pointed out, I should say, um, increasing borrowing capacity for first home buyers is all well and good, but also it means investors will start to come back into the market. And in fact, um, Justin Faber at Antipode and Charts showed how online searches for investment property are suddenly on the way up again quite quickly. So people are starting to think about getting into the market. And as we've always found, it, it's often that competition, I guess, between the investor who wants the entry level property with a good yield versus the first home buyer who's just trying to get onto the ladder. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I don't think rate cuts are going to be really great news for first-home buyers. Um, you mentioned there around the investors will, you know, be more confident to invest when they know rates are peaked and are on the downward cycle rather than going up over the last couple of years. Um, you know, we have actually still seen pretty strong, you know, numbers of investors come to us over the last 12 months because they've gone, well, I just don't see myself upgrading my home. I can't, don't need to do a major renovation. I can just make do with a smaller renovation. We're just going to, you know, curtail that. Instead of spending 800, we're going to spend 300. Um, and so we've still got this equity. We've still got this borrowing capacity left over. We've still got pretty low debt and it's totally serviceable on low mortgage rates. Um, or, you know, first home buyers who just can't afford to buy um, their first home. So they become an investor. Um, and so sometimes you just, you know, they're, they're competing in markets where other first-home buyers are buying. And so, yeah, they're, they're a first-home buyer, but they're a first-time investor. And so I think, you know, the issue when you start seeing rate cuts, um, you know, when Channel 9 News starts pumping it out there and it's all over the front pages that property prices are going to start going up and rate cuts are here, um, unfortunately, that will be when even a, an additional wave of demand enters the market. And there's always a supply lag. Um I think that the turnover rate's really going to continue to reduce dramatically, as in people are going to be stuck in their homes longer and longer. Um, even if they wanted to upgrade, they wouldn't, they can't, and they they so they're stuck there. They have to live there for longer, um, and what that means is the turnover rate will stay really low. And I think listings will stay really low this year. It's just it's not a market where people are going to rush and make these big property moves. It's more a market where you still sit on your hands because rates are high, borrowing capacity is tight, um, and it's really hard to make moves and. Yeah, so I do see investors start to come back into the market more and more um, and first-home buyers that, you know, are typically one of buying a first-home buyer, but they're an investor, so they're pushing out first-home buyers in other um, sub-markets. Uh, the other issue is that when rates drop, uh, borrowing capacity goes up. It's kind of like a double win. You know, you pay less, 
but you can also borrow more. And what we've seen in the past is borrowing capacity very linked to price growth. Um, even though, and that that was what the big surprising thing was in 2023 uh, when rates went through the roof, uh, and or 2022, and uh, borrowing capacity fell, but prices didn't fall anywhere near as much as borrowing capacity. So that was like out of sync, but correlated longer term. And this is why I guess big big talk, uh, big figures like Chris Joy got it wrong a little bit, is they were banking where if borrowing capacity falls, rates go up. Prices will fall because that had correlated over the longer term. And so what we like, we're basically saying is that if borrowing capacity goes back up, that'll very quickly be spent because everyone's already spending every dollar of their borrowing capacity. You give them a bit more, they'll spend it uh, because they have to and prices will go up. So, yeah, I, uh, you know, you, a lot of investors and first-time buyers are trying to get ahead of this. And I would say there was time to get ahead of it was actually last year. Um, so you're already in a competitive market and more competitive than it was last year, I would say, um, even though rate cuts haven't happened. Absolutely. I think um, money markets are pricing for a couple of interest rate cuts potentially this year. All four of the major banks are now looking for interest rate cuts in 2024. Um, the Australian pointed out uh, rate city analysis shows a 25 basis point cut um, in round numbers, I guess, cuts $150 a month of a million dollars of debt. So if you get two cuts, $300 a month and so on. I guess this is like the antithesis of what we saw last year when interest rate interest rates were going the other way, as you said, and it was really, um, well, a huge jump on the average loan, you know, 1200 bucks on $500,000 of mortgage debt. Um, so a huge increase last year, but it didn't really slow the market too much. Ray White, chief economist, narrowed economy said interest rate cuts would result in prices exceeding growth in 2023 and surpassing 10% on an annual basis. So I think your, your point on turnover there is very valid. I think partly because we're just not seeing there's many high-rise towers or apartment blocks being built. Um, so if you don't have people buying into the new stock, yeah. um, well, a lot of people, are, you know, you would think it would help turnover, but it doesn't because people are just staying put. People are staying in existing properties for longer. They're choosing to renovate. Uh, we've got renovations back at pretty much at record levels again. Um, and yeah, the, the lending for new homes or the construction of new homes is a, basically a record load now, the HIA showed. So yeah, I mean, uh, what have we seen uh, so far this year? A lot of people coming in, a lot of competition, stuff selling very quickly, uh, not the same all over the country. I think at the macro level, SQM showed, um, you know, there's the usual seasonal trends around December and January. But if you look at it, just the big picture, a couple of hundred thousand properties listed for sale around the country. But if you went back a decade ago, um, well, it was it was in the high 300,000s, you know, 50% yeah. higher, basically. And that's the big picture. We've got a bigger population, not as much property for sale. So when something good comes up, you can see the competition. And um, I think in tandem with that, I've just seen some examples in recent weeks of enormous increases in rents, not everywhere, but just in parts of Sydney, people were getting renewals come through and then suddenly 50% increases and all kinds of wild stuff happening. So that, that shortage story is clearly going to be a part of the picture in 2024 as well. Yeah, absolutely. The rental crisis is the last thing um, that we, I guess you needed in this situation. You've got a housing affordability crisis, you've got a rental crisis and you've got a mortgage affordability crisis. No matter where you are in that spectrum, um, besides the baby boomers that have got no mortgage and um, uh, you know, a very low debt and they've got money in the bank and are loving higher interest rates because it means a better return on their cash. Uh, a lot of other parts of the market are, are sort of feeling it. Um, 
not only the ones in the market, but the ones who are renting as well. So, um, and I do think that, you know, encourages people to buy, even though rates are high, they, they go, well, I, I'm not sure I can rely on the invest, uh, the rental market to deliver what I need from a shelter and a lifestyle point of view for my family long-term. And so that insecurity there, instability and um, concern there is forcing people to buy. And that's one of the big fundamental things that's really getting, uh, I guess the, 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 the veil has been lifted on that. We've been talking about that for many years, how the, the challenges with renting is getting harder and harder in the suburbs that people want to rent um, because the markets are shifting more and more to owner-occupier and people are living in those properties longer and longer. But I think that's really only come to light uh, widespread in the last year or two uh, in our capital cities. Uh, so, yeah, what's number story number two, Pete? Because um, I think this is a very interesting story. I read this before you sent it to me. Um, and I do think this is not another good news um, for housing affordability. It's a really slows the turnover rate even more. Yeah, I would say on that actually, uh, even though we've got record prices in a lot a lot of parts of the housing market, it's not everywhere. I've definitely seen in some regional markets prices just not achieving uh, the same levels as they would have done in the you know the frenzy. And actually, even in Brisbane, we've seen. Properties that would have been bought by somebody to build or develop, uh, maybe selling for 10 or 15% less than they were, the real peak of the frenzy. Um, so, yes, we're probably at the median price level, got record prices have been recovered, but it's not everywhere. And there are some decent deals around, but you do need to sort of pick the eyes out of it a little bit, because as you said, stock level is very tight. Um, so, yeah, second news story of the week, home equity access for older Australians. So James Kirby in Australia, this one's stuck under the radar for me a little bit. Um, is this the best kept secret for older Australians? So um, the government's um, home equity access scheme is now appealing to a wider group of cash-strapped retirees, said James Kirby. Investors can boost retirement money by up to a million dollars through the scheme. Um, so the government will allow a super low uh, lending rate of about 39 5% and it's accessible for uh, borrowers who are over 67. They've got at least 20,000 of equity in their home. And financial advisors can now recommend, I guess, older advisors can borrow money at 4%. And I guess, like for people who've got access to it, I mean, that, that's mon money that could be invested. And you know, the average returns on super have been much higher than 4%, I guess, over time. Um, and I think this is just a theme that we have. Um, sort of glanced across a few times before, and that's that more people are taking debt into retirement. People aren't quite as fearful, I suppose, of debt as they were a generation ago. And um, uh, we know there's a lot of um, retirees in Australia with enormous amounts of um, equity built up over long periods of time. So uh, what do you think? Any impact from this, Chris? Look, I think there's, um, you know, there are limits to this uh, home equity scheme. Um but what it means is that people aren't, who are running out of cash, um, you know, they've got no money in their super, they've got a heaps of equity in their home. They don't really want to sell their home, but some people are forced to sell their home um, and because it's not included in the pension test. So you can get the pension and have a $4 million home paid off. So these are issues that I think will come to light more and more over the decades to come because these inequalities um, will start to be highlighted more and more. And I do think that, you know, tax settings are going to get more and more uh, you know, potentially tax CGT on capital growth on your homes and things like the pension test. So what we're basically saying is that that person, though, could go to the government and get a loan or top up their pension 
um, under this home equity scheme. And these um, sort of reverse mortgages were really in the vogue maybe 10, 15 years ago, but there wasn't that much demand for them. But they're really starting to come back into fashion. Um, you know, we had uh, Brian Hartzer. He had a, launched a company called 2B, um, which is kind of another home equity property, uh, uh, you know, loan for retirees. And I think this reverse mortgages, if if the banks can get around the compliance issues and the issues where uh, potentially get people get kicked out of their home if they take out a home equity scheme and then have to sell because they there are issues that you know they don't want to get on today tonight in the current affair if they kick people out of their homes there's a social uh, sort of challenge there but I think reverse mortgages are going to start coming back the government's basically encouraging it right the negative of that is yeah it keeps that person in the home the negative of that is that it stops them selling. And that stops the turnover rate, which keeps supply really tight in the market. And it's usually an inefficient use of resources. I'm not saying that all baby boomers should have to sell their property because they're wasting, you know, got spare bedrooms. I think that's pretty harsh to say that they've, they've owned that property, they've paid the mortgage, they've owned it for 20, 30 years, they have to leave now because of the societal problem. But that is one of the issues that we do need. We need to repurpose our property supply for the people who actually need it. So the family that's stuck up in a two-bedroom apartment with three kids and then you've got two doors down, you know, uh, a person by themselves in a five-bedroom house. You know, it's not the right allocation of resources, but it's not that black and white, right? You've got people in these homes that, um, and who's to say they should be forced to do things like that. But the tax sittings does encourage it just to stay and the kids are encouraging them to stay in their property. So, yeah, that's my concern around reverse mortgages is that, it actually doesn't do anything great for property prices. It actually pushes prices back up. My understanding uh, for Australia historically is that reverse mortgages weren't that popular, partly because yeah. there were different risk weights applied um, for banks, so they weren't really that bothered or keen to get involved. And also there's a bit of a reputational risk, as you said. Um, you don't want to end up on today, tonight, you know, with um, somebody complaining about irresponsible lending. And I think actually this goes back to what I was talking about at the start with the idea of the time buckets. I mean, there's there's really only a window here where a retiree who's 67 and above is going to think about using this stuff. At 67, yes, maybe, but a decade on, yeah, you're probably getting a bit, you're thinking more about aged care and health and that kind of thing later on. I, I think um, so there is kind of, there's a, a window there potentially where people might use this stuff. But, yeah, I don't know about the uh, the risk weighting on this stuff. I mean, um, all four of Australia's big four banks are now among the, the best capitalised, if not the best capitalised in the world. And, uh, you know, we, yeah, I saw the IMF was uh, chirping away this week about the potential for more home loan curbs in Australia. I don't know what they've been smoking there because we've already got major issues with housing supply and that mm. part of that is driven by um, the extremely large lending assessment buffers that are put in place so anyway we'll see whether that has any impact um if anything yes it might just um, free up some capital for retirees if it becomes more popular certainly the ability to borrow at under four percent would be appealing that's for sure uh, in the current environment um, so, Chris, third story of the week, uh, property price forecast for 2024. We don't talk too much about annual forecasts on the show if we can avoid it because um, it's more the underlying things we're interested in because uh, I guess everyone likes to throw a dart at the dartboard. Uh, but, yeah, what a turnaround from a year ago. We've got Ray White and Jardin both looking at significant 
price increases, I guess that's touched on, driven by lower mortgage rates, tax cuts and so on. Uh, Radom Syed from Confidence Finance said um, a 0.75% cut in rates increases borrowing capacity by about 12.5%. So I guess it depends on the mortgage and your situation and so on. But yeah, it's notable because Gareth Ed of CBA is now predicting three interest rate cuts in 2024 and another three interest rate cuts in 2025, which would take the cash rate target to under 3%. Now, if that plays out, as uh, Radon points out there, that would increase borrowing capacities by a quarter or thereabouts. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not so sure about, uh, you know, tighter lending standards. We saw yet again this week, another construction giant, this time Sydney-based, went down, uh, 20 projects halted, a huge pipeline of work under the QBC now thrown into complete disarray. Um, construction insolvencies are up by, well, what, 50% from a year ago. So uh, the shortage thing is clearly a big part of it. But overall, it looks like most uh, most of the forecasters, um, like uh, Mr. Cacho and Jardin and also Ray Weiss, they're, they're looking for a pretty positive year for property, largely because um, we've got, yeah, the, the interest rate cycle peaking, shortage of property, big population growth, and a rental shortage. Uh, I suppose all of those things feeding in. And that was a Finn review piece, I should say. Yeah, so uh, Radom's a good friend of mine. We chat very regularly and uh, he's done some amazing uh, research around borrowing capacity. He really understands that world and uh, he's one of the best mortgage brokers in the country. So shout out to Radom there. Um, what he's sort of highlighting is that first point we discussed around the linkages between borrowing capacity and credit growth uh, and credit growth and property prices. And, you know, you increase borrowing capacity it then leads to higher property prices. Carlos is another good friend of mine. Um, he's been on the show. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting watching Jardins because uh, they get a lot of the banking data. They know everything behind the scenes. They're constantly, you know, they're bank, they're like anal analysis, right? Basically, uh, he's a chief economist at Jardin, which is a big sort of um, management consultancy, I guess you'd call it. And, um, yeah, he, he, they've been a little bit bearish, to be honest. Um but I think what he's made some really amazing points over the last 12 months, you know, and, you know, the issues with who's driving the market, you know, it's the higher income part of the market. You know, CBA's basically said, look, you know, our average incomes are higher. So it's the higher income people who have still got borrowing capacity that are transacting. And so what that means is, is that, you know, inequality is getting worse. You know, the people on the lower incomes are the ones who are getting hit the hardest, A, because they're less likely to own, so they're getting hit with rental increases. And B, if they do want to buy, they haven't got enough income to get, because borrowing capacity is really tight, to enter the market. Um, and so that's basically pushing, you know, more and more people into the market at the time when you want to be entering, you know, when prices were a bit better. Um, and so when prices go back up, yeah, borrowing capacity goes up, but then someone needs to buy, you know, has to pay more. Um, and so the real issue, you know, it's a catch-22 at the moment, you know, if they uh, increase borrowing capacity, prices will go up. You're starting to see that, uh, you know, Shane Elliott at ANZ, um, the old CEO at NAB, I think there's a new CEO now this week. Um, but they were basically saying, you know, we need to increase borrowing capacity because first-time buyers are getting pushed out of the market, you know. And that sort of conversation, is, it's a little bit of a, yeah, okay, we increase it, but prices go up, okay. So it's in the bank interest to increase borrowing capacity because it increases credit growth. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, if, if we see borrowing capacity go up, and tax cuts. Raiden did some great research around tax cuts as well. Um, 
and how tax cuts increase borrowing capacity. So if you get tax cuts plus rate cuts plus assessment buffer changes, that's you know a lot of wood on the fire when you've got very low listings. Um, and you know I don't think people are really rushing to sell. Arrears rates aren't up. People are holding on. Yes, their saving buffers are going down. You know, there's been a lot of an argument that, you know, 2023 was a year where everyone used their savings. 2024 is a year where they've got no savings left. But I think people are thinking, well, if I can get through this window because rate cuts are coming, I'll do everything I can to hold the property because it's going to get easier. It's not going to get harder. And so that's why this, you know, inflation getting under control, you know, getting closer down to that two to three band, it's giving people the confidence to say, well, if I can get through this, rate cuts are coming and I'm, um, I don't need to rush to sell to get out of the market, um, which might have been a different story, Pete, right? Like nothing was guaranteed, um, but, you know, you would say that this year has started off better from a data point of view and inflation point of view around the world and it's become much more positive in the last three months versus what it was even back in November. Completely, yeah. I think there, there's a probably one flip side to this story and that is um, if you look at the economists like Deutsche Shane Oliver at AMP, they're sort of talking about, right, interest rates will be cut around May or June or thereabouts. But, I mean, I guess the flip side is that normally interest rates being cut is a sign of a weakening or a slowing economy. So we've got unemployment at the moment. The unemployment rate is still under 4%. But, you know, if that starts drifting up, you know, 4.5% or even higher potentially, well, that that's really um, the other side of the interest rate story. and. Um, if interest rates are falling, that's not because the economy is going gangbusters. It's going to be the opposite. So I suppose if there's a risk for the housing market, or at least um, you know uh, the the other side, I suppose to what you were saying about fuel on the fire, there is if more people are losing jobs, um, if um, we do see potentially um, just a slowdown in wages growth and a slowdown in the economy and confidence and all that kind of thing, well. That that would sort of keep a lid on house prices potentially, and so yeah, I think you're right. I mean, most people it seems are hanging on. Uh, listings aren't particularly picking up all that much. Um, I think people are seeing across to the other side of the interest rate cycle, if that makes any sense. But um, yeah, I think there's there would still be some trepidation, I guess, for people in uh, more sort of tenuous forms of employment. So I guess that's the thing to watch um, if the economy really starts slowing. Um, then the, the interest rate cuts might reflect, I suppose, the, the slower conditions. Yeah, I do think there's a a, a, a bit of a concern around what's my income going to be next year. You know, am I going to get that bonus? Am I going to have a job? You know, there has been some redundancies. There's, um, you know, but I mean, I've got a lot of clients in the tech sector, to be honest. Um, and you know, you look at their incomes. A lot of it's linked to shares as well. Share prices have been booming. So, you know, if there was a bit of a stock market crash or something like that. I think that would actually be a good thing for property prices because it would probably slow down people's uh, confidence around what's coming in the future. And I do think that's a slowing down. So if there was, you know, unemployment was staying really low and people were very confident in the next few years, um, that would be the last thing we'd need to, to for property prices. You know, it would actually be pushing them up, you know, a lot faster. Um, however, you know, when we're talking three and a half to four and a half percent unemployment rate, that still means that, you know, 95% of people are employed and the people in the market. So, you know, yes, that may increase people selling a little bit. Yeah, if they lose their job, they've got no buffer. They, they're most likely go on a bank payment holiday, you know, hence, you know, and they would do everything they can. They probably have 
lean on family at that point in time and try to get back into work pretty fast. Um, so yeah, there might be some more listings if for those people that are, you know lose their jobs, but there's a lag. You know, it doesn't just happen straight away. You don't lose your job and then go put your property on the market the next day. It just doesn't happen. Um, so I would still say that, yeah, the 95% that are put uh, in the market, doesn't mean everyone wants to buy, but there's a subset of that 95% that are doing very well conf are confident around their short-term financial solutions. And that's they're the buyers. People don't enter the market. They enter the market when you're confident around your income. You don't enter the market when you're getting close to retirement and leverage up. It's usually the people who are, you know, the first time buyers doing really well, you know, they're getting the pay rises, they're working their way up in the careers, they're the ones out buying, or the ones a little bit older and, you know, their careers are more advanced or they've started a business and things like that. They're the buyers in the market, whether they're investors or things. So I would say there's enough buyers there that are doing well to offset potentially, you know, the uh, that slowdown of, you know, confidence around price growth. And that's that marginal buyer theory is something I think people should really keep thinking about with the property market. It's not so much what everyone's doing. It's more a case the sellers and the buyers in the market right now. How are they feeling? And is there a supply-demand imbalance? Prices are set at the margin. I, I do know just, um, I suppose, anecdotal, but we've never had as much inquiries. We've got right now as buyers agents. Um, we're mainly southeast Queensland focused, but um, particularly for the residential space, a little bit commercial as well. But it's just, I think what's happening overall is um, people have decided they want to buy stock levels are low it's really hard to find something good so people are passing that problem on to a buyer's agent so it's a uh we talk about double-edged swords that's the thing for a buyer's agent you often get busy when it's hardest to buy and when it's really easy to buy well nobody wants to you know that's the cycle mm -hmm. but it does suggest to me certainly for the east eastern seaboard it looks like the most markets are going to have a good year you know, just based on what i've seen so far perth is booming anyway um, so, yeah, it's an um, interesting time. So just to wrap up on those three stories, a potential interest rate cuts a double-edged sword for first-time buyers. Um, can't disagree with that. Home equity access may increase for retirees under the government's revised home equity access scheme and um, some property price forecasts from Ray White and Jardin and others basically looking at the impact of lower interest rates and taxes. Um, so, Chris, um, I guess you guys will be flat out with a merger, but... Um, if people want to get hold of you, where should they uh, look you up? Yeah, absolutely. We've got a much bigger team now. We're probably closer to 50 now. So um, absolutely, if you just have a look in the show notes, um, there's a type form there. Fill that in and uh, the team will reach out and see if we can help. Um, there's been hundreds and hundreds that have come through the podcast now. So, uh, yeah, we'd love to help. And, uh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me, Pete, what you're saying there is, a, you know, the once people start to be in the market, and I think a lot of people in the market now are those experienced, the, the buyers that have been a bit burnt. You know, it's not so much the person just, I woke up today and I want to buy tomorrow. There's always a lead time for people entering the market. I think it's that pent-up demand buyer. Um, the one who missed out in 17, 19, 21, 23, um, you know, they they still haven't done the upgrade or they still haven't entered the market. They're the ones that are, the pre-approvals were extended a few times. Um we had a client buy this week that's been wanting to upgrade um, out of Sydney, up the coast, the central coast. It's been two years, um, finally got something. Um, and so it's those buyers that have the confidence because they've seen it all before and they've been burned a few times and they want to get ahead of the wave. Yeah, we've had a couple like that where people are very relieved to get something bought after a challenging journey, especially for yeah. units in Brisbane. Stuff just selling so quickly at the moment. So 
yeah, give us a shout if you're looking to buy. Um, it's uh, tough conditions out there, depending on where you're looking, pretty tight stock. And um, some big numbers for the podcast this year as well, Chris. I'm looking forward to that. Don't forget to share on socials and let other people know because the more the merrier and we're getting some really good numbers now. So happy day. So uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend and um, look forward to catching you next time. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Pete. And thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service. Designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.